Hey, Josh, how's it going? Good, man. How are you? Hey, I'm good. I'm sorry. We uh, uh, we were sitting here waiting for you to answer, and then we realized, oh, wait, that fader's all the way down, and we can't hear anything. <laughs> how's it going? Good, man. How are you guys? I'm good, man. Where are you based out of? Uh, I live in Brooklyn, but actually I'm oh. talking to you from suburban Maryland. I'm down at my mom's place. Oh, okay, right on. Yeah, and you're gonna be uh, you're gonna be a part of the symposium tomorrow, right? Or is it? Yeah, tomorrow. Yeah, that's why. Yeah, that's why I came down. I'm gonna do the symposium tomorrow at Nancy's. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, when we we talked to her the other day, um, uh, I don't know if you heard that, but we we got her back on just to kind of give people a rundown on the symposium, and she's obviously very. Um, very excited to have you there. Um, and I'm here with um, Brian uh, Siskind. Hey, Josh. How's it hey, going? Brian. Uh, yeah, man. How are you? Hopefully you can tell our voices apart a little bit. I know it's a little uh, strange to you know use this primitive uh, audio-only technology. No, it's funny actually listening to your podcast and I've listened to many of the episodes. It's like you guys have very similar voices and it's like it's kind of a game to try to figure out who's who. Well, we also do a terrible job of identifying ourselves. Uh, <laughs> so there's also that. But I, I did tell uh, Nancy Kidder that because um, she had us confused, I think. And I said, uh, Joe has the uh, the sort of cool uh, like a uh, character driven kind of gravelly uh, <laughs> voice. And then mine is the one that sounds like it's complaining about uh, not getting mustard with my pastrami sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> That's a perfect description. I love it. <laughs> Thanks. Also a role I'm gonna character have actor would play. <laughs> and can I'm going to be just, I'm going to be distracted by the description during this entire interview. That's the only problem. <laughs> I'll try to Larry David it up just a little bit to, to meet the standard. It. Hey, and also, can you hear us okay? Because we kind of have you on the table here. Uh, so, Yeah, it's good. It's good. Okay. Um, I got to tell you, you guys, when I, saw, when I saw that there was this podcast, and I'm trying to remember now exactly where I first started, because I think it was before I heard the, the, the episode with Nancy, when I saw that there were, and I saw your description of the podcast, I saw art fight and I was like and then I heard the description of it being like that you guys were artists who had found an interest in fighting and you talked about it all the time and you wanted to discuss where those lines got blurry I was like I, I knew I needed to contact you immediately I was like there are other people like it's this tiny community of people I was like those are my people I must reach out to them <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it's a it's a great thing to have um sort of a creative neurosis but to even have a further more sort of completely niche creative neurosis really does drive us all to try and connect with each other to talk ourselves into thinking that we are actually okay right like it's a we're okay <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah that it, it's totally fine yeah i mean i i mentioned yeah like like i remember the first time i made a fighting friend like someone who wanted to talk to me about mma and i was at a party and i was just like uh, i wanted to hug him like i just met him and i was like it's okay <laughs> for me to want to watch people beat each other up in cages. I'm not an insane person. Yeah. Well, that was, I mean, I, I appreciate the way that you, you described how you, you know, what you thought we were when you found us. Cause we've, we've tried to tell that story more than once. And I feel like it's, it's must be starting to get through and people must understand what it is. And it's definitely a thing for us, especially recently. I feel like, you know, since we found Nancy and then connected with her through to so many people, um, I feel like, you know, we're, we're, it's, it's only, you know, here we are. We're almost two years through this podcast, and uh, you're our 76th guest, I think. And it's like, wow. yeah, and we've definitely. It's only been proven. It's becoming redundant in evidence in our in our experiment that like there's plenty of us out there, and um, and there's also plenty of people who you know are willing to entertain the idea for an hour. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. Well, you sort of, you sort of. I mean, it's one of the great things about podcasts, right? Is that is that you realize if something is well produced and well discussed or, or whatever, whatever the topic is, you know, it's like, it reminds me of like, um, there's old, uh, uh, VH1 behind the music, but I would, I would listen, I would watch those things wrapped, you know, just completely engaged about bands. I hated yeah. more than anything, yeah. <laughs> but if you, a, a well done documentary about how Motley Crue is falling apart, yeah. I'm in. Yeah. So like if you, you know, the, the podcast is like, you can not like fighting, you can not like art, but if you get a good discussion going on, it's like, yeah, I'll, I'll give those guys a couple hours of my time. Yeah. Which is great. I'm so glad that you are that open about it because uh, we do want to talk about Limp Biscuit uh, <laughs> at, at some point. Um, 
<laughs> so Wait, no. I said Motley Crue. There are definitely limits here. Yeah, I, I just I figured I'd try to one up you there, uh, <laughs> right? Because I think there's still some vaguely redeeming qualities about Motley Crue that you can sort of uh, derive. But I think that once you get into uh, Limp Biscuit, uh, you know, it feels like a little bit more like a playground for just disparaging other people's hard work. Just, yeah, exactly. And, you know, the Motley Crue thing, especially, you know, if you're talking behind the music, like <laughs> there's just no arguing that those guys behind the music is probably going to be a lot more interesting than their, in fr- I mean, they probably live lives that are just so off the charts. Whereas Limp Biscuit, I just imagine some very angry <laughs> white, what, what, white dudes, like yeah. just saying, really terrible things when they're by themselves. Like I don't, I don't, I don't need to see that documentary. That's right. Well, you know, one of the things that, um, that I've, I've picked up about where your, your sort of path has, has led you that I, I think, and this is sort of a curveball question that I'm just going to kind of jump into, but, um, I thought it'd be a good place to sort of start, which is to say, um, you know, so for me, I, uh, have never fought. Um, I've never trained, but, um, I do think that one of the more distilled things that you did accomplish is you in your 30s decided to do something categorically different that you were relatively afraid of on some level and looking to conquer uh, some sort of weakness, right? Or some sort of uh, anxiety um, or lingering sort of perception of self. And so I think that, you know, like for me, when I was um, in my 30s, I got divorced, my father died, all this stuff happened really fast. And so I ended up doing what any idiot would do, which is to get rid of everything that you own, get everything back into a car and go to New York City to uh, go to school for no reason, right? Like, that's what I did. So, uh, and, right. and so I, I felt, I feel like there's a lot of parallels there, even though the paths are a little different. I, I love the idea of anybody who uh, really consciously makes a turn, you know, quote unquote, later in their lives, right? Um and a lot of my favorite artists or photographers or, you know, are uh, people that, you know, didn't start until much later than what you would think. It's not a, a sort of indoctrinated knowledge or experience. And so I think that that's really good. But I think it's also neat how your sort of path, um, I, I feel like that one of the more unexplored areas of your your story that I want to talk to you about more is with respect. Like, I, I wonder if in a way you're like, maybe I'll ask the question this way. Are you the Philip Roth of MMA or are you the Saul Bellow of MMA? <laughs> wow. That's a, that's a really interesting question. I love that question. I will only say that I'm, I'm, I, it's got to be the Philip Roth simply because I'm much more influenced. By, like Philip Roth was my guy. I remember being, you know, you have those moments in your life when you're, 16 in a band just becomes everything you feel like this band was just not just speaking for you but like they're they're speaking the thoughts that you've been thinking all your entire life philip roth i was 23 or 24 years old and i read portnoy's complaint and yeah. and i didn't know anything about him and it was it it, 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 it literally was i mean it was, it was i felt i had never felt so completely connected to an artist in any way my entire life yeah um you also and, never you never look at a refrigerator the same way either and never look at, 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 at family meets or any other thing That's like right. that again. Never again. But um, it's, it's to this day, 20 years later, still to this day. Um, but yeah, I mean, still, when I was first thinking about this book and I was, um, when I was putting it together, I was taking pages and pages and pages of notes. Some of them led somewhere, some of them didn't lead anywhere. One of the things I, I talked about when I was trying to figure out what kind of I don't know what the structure was going to be and what the feel I wanted it to have. It often led back to Philip Roth and that I wanted it to have, at the very least, I wanted it to have his sense of, you know, with Philip Roth, love him or hate him or love something, hate other things, or, you know, on a sentence to sentence basis, maybe not as good as writer X or writer Y. The thing that I, that I was always attracted to with Philip Roth was the sense that there's, there's an undeniable sense of energy and blood and, vitality and urgency to what he wrote. Whenever I read something by him, the sense I always get is that he and his characters have to get out of their mouths and out of their hands something. And what you're reading is something that has to be gotten out. And I like that sense of, of urgency and necessity. And I knew that for me, whatever I was thinking about fighting and why I wanted to fight and what it was like to go through the process of fighting, I felt like it would be Served, best served by 
writing something that gave off that sense of energy that 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 there was a sense of a sense on the page that there was something alive there, whether whether the idea got across or whether the meaning got across was less mm-hmm. important to me than the idea that that the energy got across. Mm-hmm. I think so, one of the things. I, oh, go ahead, go ahead. No, no, no. I mean, that's just it. So, so it's, it's absolutely a Philip Roth thing in that it was it was less important for me to make a specific point. It wasn't the, the, the particular arguments. I didn't want it to be an argumentative story. I didn't want it to be, I didn't want it to, to lay down a thesis and improve my point. I wanted to somehow communicate through the writing itself, how important this thing was to me. And, and that really, I mean, that, that comes entirely from, from Philip Roth. And I'm sure mm-hmm. I could, I, you know, you could probably, a, a careful, careful reader would be able to pick out passages that were stolen Holy <laughs> from from Philip Roth, and I'm totally comfortable with that. <laughs> I think um, one thing that that gives it the energy you're talking about is the fact that because of you know you mentioned the structure and the way that this thing chapter to chapter is built on a timeline. I'll let you tell a little bit about that, but I think that there is a there's an an an, an inevitability built into that structure that the the further the reader goes, the closer they get to this thing inexorably, and so I think there's just built intention in that. Um, and I also, um, think there's, there's a sense and I want you, I'm asking you if this is real or not, but there's so much detail and there's so much thoroughness to each chapter that it, 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 I want to ask you like, is this, are these, did you write journal entries or something during this path? Um, you know, uh, to, to actually have a, a, an MMA fight. Um, it, you know, is this based on like notes you took at the time or is this something you looked back at and tried to sort of recreate? Because there's obviously a lot of writing that's also, you know, you referencing other authors and all sorts of tangents you go on while you're telling your own story. Yeah, I think that the, the sort of tangential stuff and the uh, references to other authors and quotes and uh, definitely the scientific research and all of that stuff, that all came later in uh-huh. the actual writing process. But yeah, as I was going through the process of training for the fight and whatever whatever it was, was it getting injured or whether it was focusing on jujitsu or whether it was mm-hmm. cutting weight, whatever sort of flashed into my head at a particular moment, it's everything, you know, I was constantly on my phone texting, you know, I don't... Uh, you know, cool. I, I'm a 20th, 21st century kid at this point. It's a, I wasn't taking notes. I was just texting myself things. Yeah. But yeah, it was just, I figured that just whatever came into my brain was fodder and put it down and worst case scenario, it just ends up thrown out and it doesn't really matter. But, but for me, it was just like, have the notes there and then, and not even think about it in the moment. And then when the writing process really started, that's when it, that's when it could become something like art or at least something created. Right. Um, the yeah. most important thing for me at the time was just to not like, for me, the, the worst thing in the world is having an idea and not writing it down oh, yeah. and then forgetting the idea. Like oh. you just, well, I just want to hang myself. I know. It's so the worst. I, every, every <laughs> thought I had, the, the, actually the only problem in the whole process was that because I was in, obviously I was training for this fight and I'm in these classes and I'm in these private sessions or whatever. It's like, you can't say to your jujitsu coach, hold on a second, I just need to go write something down. Like it's not, it's just that sort of thing is frowned upon. So that, that sort of trained my memory a little bit. I, I now am capable of holding a thought for an hour. Like that, <laughs> that's that's it's about the limit of what I'm capable of. No, and again, what about that structure? Like, uh, like I'm, I'm trying to be coy and not say exactly what it is. I don't know how much we should reveal about the book to people. But the, you know, do you understand what I'm saying? There's like a timeline involved with the way the book works, and and I feel like that's a really cool device. Well, yeah, I mean, there's no need to be coy at all. I mean, it, it, the book is, I mean, for people listening, I mean, the book is about the year I spent training for an MMA fight. And, uh, and then the description of the fight itself. <clears throat> and yeah, I mean, that it's, 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 you know, it's, it's interesting because when I came up with the idea for this book, it was, I didn't want it to be too memoiristic. I, it was really the idea I really wanted to get, because I, I don't know about you guys. I'm sure you probably feel this way to some degree being MMA fans in a world where most of the people are not MMA fans and probably most of your friends are not MMA fans is you can be a little bit, uh, evangelistic slash defensive slash yeah. whatever about you want, you want people to understand why you would like this ridiculous thing. <laughs> and so, so, so when I thought about writing this book is, is that I, I knew I wanted to fight a fight and I knew I wanted to write about it, but I didn't want it to be about 
so much about me fighting the fight. It was more that I wanted to be, make myself essentially a case study. Like I wanted it to be, this is what I'm going through, but this is what anyone would go through. This is what any person who decides to fight in a cage would be going through in terms of cutting weight or adrenaline or fear or how your body changes or how you have to learn this technique or how it relates to, you know, literature and all this. Like it, 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 it was much more important to me. I, I like the idea that, that, that my story would just, would, would just be sort of a general story of what someone would go through. So it was really important for me to have all these tangents where it related to science and it related to history and it related to psychology and it related to literature because I didn't want it to be, you know, Josh Rosenblatt did this thing. Let's follow Josh Rosenblatt the whole time because who gives a shit about Josh Rosenblatt? <laughs> right. like, no, no one's, no one's tuning into that. What? Well, one of the things I think, thing you, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. I, just, I, 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 you had asked me about the, the structure and, and I wanted to sort of give credit to my editor who uh, I, I turned in the first draft of the book and I, and it was basically, you know, basically the structure was there. Same kind of thing where sort of a, I would tell you about what was going on in my training or something was going on with my life. And then it would relate to something that was going on, you know, historically or scientifically or whatever. And she sent me back the first draft. God bless her. She sent me back the first draft and said, there has to be a sense. You have to create more of a sense of inevitability of, that no matter how far off on a tangent you're taking these readers, you're talking about philosophy, you're talking about Lord Byron, you're talking about all these little things. <laughs> it has to always be in the, it always has to be in the back of the reader's mind. Shit, someone, this 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 poor guy, this poor forty year old human being, is going to step into a cage and potentially die there. And like, you know, and that and she was absolutely right. Like like like, I mean, it was like I wasn't even thinking about it in terms of creating sort of drama. I was just thinking about it in terms of getting ideas down. And she said, there's got to, you have to be able, you have to create the sense that this thing is impending. And I was so stressed out about it because I was like, you know, she sent me the notes and I'm, I'm sitting there looking at her notes and I'm like, I don't know how to do that. Like, how much more writing do I have to do? I, I felt like I'd gotten so much out that I wanted to get out. And like, I was really stressing out about how much I had to do. And I went back to her with, with my questions about her various notes. And one of them I said was, you know, what, how do I, how do I do what you're telling me to do to create that sense of, 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 of sort of fatalistic, this thing is off in the future. It's getting closer. And I was expecting her to say, I need a thousand words about this. You need a whole nother chapter about that. And she goes, um, I don't know, just put like one year out at the beginning and then <laughs> 10 months out at the, and then four months out at the top yeah. chapter four. And I was like, that, that's it. She's like, yeah, that's fine. I was like, that's brilliant. Yeah, and nice, the funny thing about it is that, uh, the funny thing about it is that, and, and I, I should be ashamed to admit this, but if, if anyone has, has complimented me on the, my book, that's kind of been the reason why. Yeah. Like, I love that you put at the beginning of each chapter, 10 months out, seven <laughs> months out. And I always say, well, that was clearly my idea. <laughs> Thank you so much. And I'll, I wonder if, I'll, uh, I'll take full credit. <laughs> I wonder if um, almost cognitively we're all being uh, sort of malformed by technology and social media and timelines and recency as sort of a premium. Uh, but uh, that's another question. So, um, but no, what, 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 what do you mean by that? I guess what I mean is like, it seems like that be, because of social media, I mean, this is just a theory, right? I, I wonder, <laughs> I wonder, you shouldn't have asked me about this because now I'm going to have to explain it. So, so I guess what I'm saying is I feel like that we're all dealing in um, timeline structures in all the media that we interact with in a way that is perhaps a little different than in the past when media was more, uh, um, you know, sort of singular, right? Like you got a newspaper, you looked at today and that was, you know, um, whereas like right. now we're looking at everything as sort of even hour by hour. It's not about the attenuation to the present. It's really just about, I feel like the timelines as a medium and as an interaction and as a tool have maybe perhaps begun to form our cognition to really latch on to that type of thing. And that that's why it's so comforting to sort of be able to relate drama. Because if you were trying to like weave in nuance uh, to build that uh, state, uh, that tension, that would have to be sort of sourced and dug in a way that's probably a little bit more um, hit or miss or not as clear, right? But there's something just so emphatic and, and understandable and relatable about a timeline. So I just thought that that was a, 
I just wonder, but like, sort of in the modern age, if that's why, if that why, if that's why these sort of shoulders go down uh, when you're like, oh, I get it, oh, okay, you know, like, <laughs> it's, right. a, it's on a timeline, yeah, oh, okay. It's it, it's funny you say that. I think that actually, for me, it it, it spoke to me for something like a to something much older. That like it was like that was her way of telling me, you know, because that the sort of fragmented collage approach that I took to writing it that what she was telling me was when it comes down to it, you still need to, or you're still really served by people feeling like there's something, there's a story rolling forward, that Mm -hmm. something is going to happen good or bad at the end of this book. And that's why I'm going to, as opposed to saying, you know, this reference and that reference will keep me engaged. Like if you speak to the oldest, most antique instinctual parts of the species that says, you know, stick around. I'm going to tell you something amazing at the end of this book. <laughs> you will always be served by that. And I just, I just, you know, not being a fiction writer and not having written a whole lot of stuff that was story based. I, I didn't, that didn't, thought didn't even cross my mind. And the fact that she could sort of, she kind of solved that problem by within, within the, the simplest way possible. And it really does. And it just, for me, it tapped into something almost primordial. It was like, Oh, just give people a sense that, you know, that, that just force people to deal with attention. It's the same way, like when you're, um, you know, when you're watching a movie, you know, and, and something like, you know, you know the way that Ju- Romeo and Juliet starts off with, you know, we're going to tell you the story of two star-crossed lovers who take their lives or Titanic, you know, you know, the thing is going to fail or, you know, any number of World War II movies, you know how badly or well something's going to end, but it's like, it's kind of cooler to do that. Say, this is, this thing is going to end at this point. And I'm going to give you the opportunity to convince yourself that there's not a cage fight coming by being distracted by all this other stuff. But in the back of your mind, you know, it's always there. And then you turn the page to chapter five and it says, oh, now it's only four months away. I thought I thought we were I thought we were talking about, you know. What you know, adrenaline or whatever it was, but no, we're talking about this other thing yeah. that I didn't really want to deal with. Well, and so one of the things I want to get at also um, is you know we we talked to um, Chuck Mendenhall uh, not long ago, and yeah, uh, you know he got his start uh, in uh, an alt weekly, and you got uh, a sort of your your feed in in an alt weekly, and uh, I find it very interesting to see how people that have come from that trajectory where it's more freewheeling, you can write what you want to write uh, as much as, you know, the, the, the parameters are probably a, a lot wider back then, uh, but obviously on a sort of dated kind of uh, medium or paradigm and a dying one, unfortunately. But I guess uh, yeah. uh, what, what I think is interesting is that, you know, you have these chops that you're sort of building through uh, and then you get to your um, phase, you know, uh, with vice uh, and I, I love that story as well in the sense that, uh, like we had an, uh, another one of our recent guests, uh, this guy, Jared Reynolds, he played bass with Ben Folds and he had this moment where he was playing Lollapalooza in front of 50,000 people and realized that he just wanted to be anywhere else but there. Like the, the dream he had always <laughs> sort of sought, uh, ended up being sort of riddled with a lot of, uh, things you just kind of don't know, I guess, until you get there and some people can stay with it and, uh, and work that way. And other people just, uh, there's a time limit to what you can really do in that type of, uh, situation. So I feel like that maybe f- for wow. you, uh, vice was kind of like a moment like that where you, you, you were like, this is the shit. Like, I'm so, this is great. And then you realize like, Oh, this is just another sort of, um, trench to sort of get through like anything else. And there's a lot of distracting elements or non, a lot of factors that are not relative to why the hell you went there or we're excited about going there. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, well, you're going to break free. You're going to write this book and you know, all of that vision comes together. But then all of a sudden you're like being faced with, uh, sort of who are you as a writer? Who are you as a fighter? How are you going to, uh, put this together in sort of a book form and some of the things you've alluded to already in terms of, um, you know, being, uh, uh, in a, in a sort of, uh, having to take, like you said, sort of collage or uh, 
more free kind of ways of writing to to bring into this larger sort of structure and have it function in a certain way. Um, you know, I think all that's really interesting. And I want to hear sort of maybe your thoughts on sort of the parallel between your journey as a writer, as well as sort of the the parallel of your own aspiration and occupation as a writer, as well as in the context of sort of the mediums changing and starting from an alt weekly and sort of moving into sort of where you are now. And then we're sort of at this weird place now where we're in this kind of burgeoning, there's a new frontier that's opening right in front of us and we're all seeing it. So it's, I just want to sort of see what your thoughts are about how you've kind of uh, sort of sailed through that. It's interesting that you bring up the alt weekly thing, and I and I, I listened to, to the interview as you did with Chuck, and that was great stuff. And I didn't, I didn't really, I, you know, I think I think he had mentioned to me once that he had started at an alt weekly as well. And it does, it's funny to think that 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 now feels like something that old people have done. I mean, it really does. <laughs> like with the, the the Village Voice gone, and all these different these different publications gone, and it, it just it does feel like something like that you know, we might be the last generation that waited till Thursday or whatever day it was for the free alt weekly to come out. And yeah, I mean, it's like, I mean, I had a friend when we were coming up who worked for the DC city paper and it just seemed like that's, you know, that was the best place you could work the city paper, the, the village voice, or for me when I was down in Austin, cause I was working for the Austin Chronicle. And it really just, there was a, a mentality to work at a place like that where it was, if not free form, it was definitely open to experimentation because, you know, they didn't pay you that much and they, they sort of had a readership that you kind of, they kind of, the readership kind of had to take what they got because, because they weren't paying anything for it. So they were, it was sort of expected and, and understood that you could experiment a little bit. And also that if you were, and, and I know I did this, that if you started off as a film writer, you might be re- required to do a story about politics, they needed someone to cover something or music or whatever. So, I mean, there, there was no better place for, to get training as a writer. Um, and it's interesting that you brought that up and then going to Vice because I had never thought about writing for Vice. When I lived in New York in the early 2000s, late, late, uh, late 1990s, you know, I, I was kind of like the Vice aesthetic kind of turned me off. I didn't like Vice very much. It was back then, it was, it's hard to imagine now, but I, you guys remember when Vice was like, you know, just like, pictures of people at like Coke parties with like, you know, some of them are naked and they're like humiliating people. It's like a really like a, I mean, it was like, I mean, and I don't mean this in a terrible way. It sounds worth it. It's kind of a corrosive yeah. publication. Like it wasn't, it wasn't cleaned up and ready for, you know, investment the way it is now. It was a very different kind of thing. And it just, it rubbed me the wrong way. And I just, I just, I never, you know, the fact that they would like make fun of people, the way people dressed on the street, it just wasn't my thing, mm-hmm. but I was, in Austin and I was writing about movies and I was writing about politics and I was very happy there because it, you know, it's a, it's a very easy place to, to, to get by working for an alt weekly and, 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 and the like was great, but I really wanted to write about MMA. I felt like there weren't that many, it felt like a very wide open kind of uh, environment. Like it, it, it just, there weren't that many people that wrote about the sport yet. And, um, I was, I, at the time I was reading a lot by, you know, Norman Mailer and AJ Liebling and all these other great boxing writers. And it just didn't feel like there were that many people that were doing that same kind of thing with MMA, which mm-hmm. was, which was fine. Um, but also like it, it just felt like, unlike with when you're writing about movies, unlike when you're writing about politics where everyone is writing about the same movie at the exact same time. It felt like this is, this was something I could do where at the very least it felt like I'd be sort of playing around in a, in an area that was relatively unpopulated and that kind of, that, that freedom I found very appealing in addition to the fact that it's just something I wanted to write about. Mm -hmm. Um, so just by a fluke, I ended up getting the job as a freelancer at Vice. Um, another person who will be at the symposium tomorrow, uh, Esther Lin, who's the great photographer, you know, probably the greatest MMA photographer out there. She works for MMA fighting and some other places. She was a friend of a friend. And she turned me on to, she had heard through the grapevine somewhere that Vice was looking for people to write about MMA. And so I started freelancing for them and, 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 uh, eventually just pure luck. I mean, it was like really sort of most fortuitous moment in my life that I started writing for them. And six months later, they wanted to start Fightland. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was kind of, I mean, you know, as much as I'd like to think I was writing good stories for them, really, I was the only one around. I was just like, 
I was I was the guy who was standing there when they needed someone to volunteer. Right. And uh, and, and and so I got the job. But and, and I'm, I'm meandering. But when you're talking about the the transition to a place like Vice and where we are now in terms of journalism and the world of journalism that we're living in, mm-hmm. um, coming from that the, the all weekly environment, coming from the world that I was coming from, and, and being 40, you know, whatever I was at the time, 38 years old. Mm-hmm. I was not, and not, and again, being, I wasn't in New York. I was in Austin, a much smaller town. and not the media town in that way. Mm-hmm. I was sort of thrown off immediately when I got to Vice. As much as I loved more than anything, making, creating Fightland and working with my writers and creating something with them, it was just absolutely the thrill of a lifetime. Uh-huh. The the journalistic environment advice was so alien to me and the sort of priorities advice were so alien to me that I don't think that in some ways I'm surprised that I lasted as long as I did. I made it about 14 months mm-hmm. and uh, it was just, there was stuff going on there and I can't fault them for it. I mean, they were on the fringe or something. They were on the vanguard of something that is now all over the place, which is why they're such a successful company. But things like blurring the line between editorial and advertising right. and actually having a word for it. I mean, I still remember the first time some 22 year old who looked like Buddy Holly came over <laughs> to talk to me about advertorial. And I was like, I, want, I felt like I needed, I felt like I needed to stab him in the heart. Like it was like, a, like some sort of like, it was like a test of maturity or something. <laughs> That's and when, that's when you was, wanted to fight. <laughs> yeah, that that was that was the moment exactly, and it was just like it was so that those priorities, those the things that are now common, where you have the, the, blur, the blurring of those lines, and you have sort of you know clickbait, and you have you're sort of constantly looking for the next thing that will go viral. Right. But when you that I just I didn't grow up with that. I didn't. I, I, it didn't make any sense to me. I, what I wanted to do more than anything was fight land was communicate to, and not blowing smoke, but essentially doing what you guys are doing, communicating to that, what I thought was probably a small but growing community of people that liked writing as much as they liked fighting. Exactly. Or they really liked, they really liked fighting and were curious about writing, or they really liked writing or curious about fighting. Those were my people. Like the people who read all the time, but secretly they didn't want to admit their friends. They really were fascinated by Muay Thai. Mm-hmm. Like I, those were my people, and you know, and to do again, why when you guys when I saw your podcast, like, oh right, they, they, there is this small group of people where those lines get blurred, and those, and I wanted to build something where those people would be loyal, like it, like you know, that sort of old school notion where like day after day the same people are going to check in because you've tapped into something that it's it's the you know it's it, it's it's the belief that something you feel must be resonating with someone else out there. Mm-hmm. As weird as it may seem to you, I, 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 I've never been arrogant enough to believe that some idea I had <laughs> was only my idea. Like, right. clearly, if, if I liked writing and fighting, there were other people out there that liked the same thing. You just say, maybe they hadn't had the opportunity that, that, to, to explore that. So I, what I really wanted to do was build that community. Like, and it took a while. I mean, it took a long time to even get to the point where, you know, four or five months in, where people were starting to check back in and we were starting to get some responses and we started to get noticed a little bit. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, like there was a push on the, on the money side and the publishing side and the other side of things that were saying, you know, what about viral content? What about clicks? What about, uh-huh. you know, can, can we, can we write a story that says something good about this product that we have a, that we have a, right. a relationship with? Cause you know, like vice with at the time was, was not just doing a publication. They had a they had a whole advertising business they were running. Yeah, and again, like I can sit here all day and judge Vice, but I'm, I'm, it doesn't even matter if I judge Vice or not judge Vice. What it came down to in the end was that was that I you know the product. I was extraordinarily proud of the product that we all created together. Yeah. Me, me and my writers created. But if I'm really honest, as, as much as it hurt to get fired from there, if I'm really honest with myself, when, when the when the clouds parted a little bit and I, and I could see things again after three or four months of nothing but anger and mm. whiskey, when, I could, <laughs> when the clouds parted a little bit, I could see that probably I was never going, I, I could never do what that site needed me to do, which was make money. Right. I have, to this day, I have no idea how to make money in any capacity, much less 
by creating, like I just, I do something that I like doing and I hope that it, it means something to people, but right. I was never going to do those things or be aware of those things that needed to be done that were going to really bring a lot of money into the site. And, and it was, I think to a certain extent, it was kind of poison from the start. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would never, I would never, uh, trade the time that I had this 14 months to build to, to have in any circumstance in anything for someone to say, Hey, build something you want to build right. and we'll show it to the world is a pretty, it's a, it's a pretty thrilling opportunity. And, and, uh, and I, again, I wouldn't trade that for the world, yeah. but it was, it was definitely, like you say, it was definitely, uh, it was, it was, it was one, probably an old school mentality mm-hmm. running blindly and headlong into the wall of the future and, <laughs> and, and losing yeah. badly. Well, here's the thing. I mean, this, this is Joe talking, by the way, the, the, when we talked to Chuck, you know, he brought up people like AJ Liebling and, uh, you know, Bill Plimpton yeah. and, and these writers who, you know, have written so eloquently about, uh, about boxing in a, in a nonfiction way, you know, and I think, um, obviously there's great, you know, novelists and, and short story writers who've written, you know, amazing stuff about boxing and fighting as well. But, but, um, when we talked to Chuck about it, you know, it was like the idea of, you know, you know, what, you know, will there, will we see? like the great you know uh kind of um uh new journalism now it wouldn't be so new but you know what i mean that that sort of uh uh you know creative nonfiction about mma the way we've seen it about boxing and and i want to ask you you know to some degree as someone who's also had all this experience you know with writing for alternative weeklies with uh you know working on a massive website for a huge company like vice you know and also with writing your own book like like where, like what, what is, is, is a book even necessarily the platform that the, the literature of MMA will take, or because it is such a 21st century sport, um, and didn't start in the 21st century, but obviously it's, it's, you know, blossomed and come into its own in the 21st century, you know, will it, will, will the great writing about MMA ultimately be on some other platform or in some other, uh, format or something? And this is kind of a weird question. You have to dwell on it. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a really good question. I think it's I, I think it's a question that exists probably in, in, for for any subject matter in that 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 that, that can be written about in the twenty first century. Right. Like where where will the great you know are, is it still about great long form magazine writing? Is it still about great books? Is it still about, you know like the things you know I'm no, I'm no expert on this at all, but it seems like technology is sort of advancing at an exponential rate just in the time that the three of us have been alive, like just advancing so much faster than it had in the past. So writers are to a certain extent required to, and you know, probably artists in all, in all media, but definitely writers are required to not just sort of find subject matter they like and find a voice and find the things that they want to write about and the way that they write about them. But, if you really you do have to figure out where those things will go, and it's not you know you know you read a Norman Mailer piece about boxing, or like you read the like great AJ Liebling pieces, and this guy was I mean, like I'm amazed when I read through an AJ Liebling story. I'm like this guy was given thirty pages to write a story about one boxing event in the New Yorker. Like what? It's insane. <laughs> like the only person would you might be able to get a thirty page story in the New Yorker now if you had positive proof that, you know, Trump sent Giuliani <laughs> right. to the Ukraine to place a prostitute into Hunter Biden's bed. Like, that would be the only way right. you could ever, like, like the, the opportunities were just different. Or Norman Mailer, just like, he had, he started the weekly just so he could publish whatever he wanted. I mean, like, you could write these long-form, beautifully written stories about <laughs> something as fundamentally meaningless as boxing. Yeah. And and they could they could be great pieces of literature. So, so do I think there's any difference between their their time and our time in terms of the possibilities of great writing about sports? Absolutely not. I don't. You know, Chuck writes beautifully about MMA. Kareem Zidane writes like extremely well researched, investigated investigated journalism about combat sports. I mean, there's 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 no there's there's no doubt in my mind that great writing can be and is being done about MMA and you know you have to take into account again very new sport like it take, you know there wasn't great writing about boxing for a long long time there was you know writers considered 
boxing, just like the rest of society, considered it boorish and brutish, and you'd no, you wouldn't go anywhere near it. It took took a long, long time. But yeah. the question, the question for all writers at this point, and especially I think for sports writers and for combat sports, you know, you get sort of the the the, the parameters get smaller and smaller as well. When you get down to MMA writer, the problems are amplified, but same fundamentally as for any writer, it's like where, what is the platform and how do you adapt your writing to that platform? Because you're not going to get 20 pages to write about a single, like I'm not going to convince anyone to let me write 20 pages about Usman versus Covington next weekend. It's just not, I'm not going to, I'm not yeah. going to be able to wax philosophical about the cab ride over yeah. and I'm not going to be able to stop <laughs> at a bar and talk to the bartender. I'm not going to, after the fight, I can't talk about leaving with the crowd. Like, it's nonsense. It's yeah. beautiful, right? I love AJ Lieber more than anyone. But I, 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 you know, any editor in his right mind would be like, "What does this have to do with the fight?" Yeah. Well, you so, know, it's, so it's, 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 please, what's that? What's that? I was, I was just going to say, like, you know, for for it's funny that you're essentially it's like the the disparity between what is inherently topical and then what is more expository, and yeah, uh, and you know, for me. Uh, you know, or for both Joe and I, really, like when we started doing this podcast, we we kind of felt like maybe there was some portion of this that we should perhaps devote to, you know, what happened last weekend or something, right? And as much as we would conversationally or normatively talk about it, that's what we'll do. And it will naturally sort of come in if it needs to, but it's not the priority. It's not the focus. And I think that, you know, it sounds, you know, sort of, marketing speak but to be evergreen with what you know quote unquote content you're creating i feel like that what we're doing is slowly building this kind of archive of uh essentially like sort of timeless conversations about uh you know the creative practice and how it parallels and then sort of overlaps with uh you know with fighting and you know if we can just get one person to understand that when we're watching Cowboy Cerrone put together this this insane combination that you can watch eleven times in a row, just one series of punches and kicks. It's not. I know any, exactly what combination you're talking about. Right? Yeah. Like it's <laughs> it's it's not exactly right. It's not any different than uh, a writer building up, uh, you know, a, a paragraph or um, a, a musician or an artist or producer in a record studio. Uh, you know, sort of really trying to selectively. Uh, you know, lay something out in a way that is catered to, you know, uh, the greatest impact, you know, or, or whatever. So I've, I guess for me, you know, I, I feel like that, um, and I guess one of the things I sort of want to get a little bit more out of your brain about is, uh, we're at this impasse and I feel like that this MMA symposium, uh, writing and fighting MMA uh, media symposium that, uh, that, that Nancy has put together, I really have this sort of feeling about it um, where what I'm, I feel like I'm seeing the germination and the collection of something that's actually really special. I feel like that there's a real, uh, a very specific um, uh, sort of void, I suppose, or absence that that is sweeping into fill. And a lot of people are falling in line with, with that as a sort of, uh, it's some sort of programmatic structure and event and, you know, sanctioned, uh, you know, educational uh, allegiance, you know, there's all classroom structure, uh, you know, helping people like it's all really sort of getting down to this thing. But at the essence of it really is the, the weird fascia between media, journalism, uh, you know, people that are in the spectacle, people that are, are observing, people that are sort of in the middle. It's, it's this kind of, um, new space, I think, that's, that's, that's being highlighted by this. And I feel like, um, that, you know, it's perhaps all the same things that we're sort of talking about here that we're, we're sort of not embarrassed about anymore or whatever, you know, but it's, it's not really, I, I think it's just something where there's not been enough, um, uh, freedom to to really go there because of what you're talking about because people are having to adapt their their creative um, uh, work to the the medium in such a way around a sort of a business paradigm et cetera et cetera and so you're sort of putting that first whereas like we don't give a shit about whatever like we got we have nobody to answer to so we're just gonna do honestly what comes about uh, you know this podcast for us and it's really led us very organically to to you and to and to Nancy and to a lot of people that I think are sort of uh, starting to dial in the same kind of channel and I wonder about you know like in my mind as you're talking I'm thinking you should just raise your hand. 
and say, we're starting a new thing and it's going to be the whatever the hell you want to do thing. And this will be the place where people can put all the work that is unfiltered or is experimental or is whatever. But also, uh, I'm like you. I'm very bad at uh, I have a lot of good ideas, but none of them are good at making money. So please also don't listen to what I'm saying. <laughs> right. Well, let me ask you this, because I know that that one of you guys, um, Joe, you're a musician, right? Uh, yeah, Brian is as well. Right. All right. Okay. But you're also you're also a documentarian, Brian. Uh, yeah, I do some uh, documentary film in sort of an uh, abstract way. Yeah, with the uh, with the, the drone stuff. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful. I, I've I've watched several of those things. It's, it's, that's right. You're a musician as well because you do the um you do the soundtracks. That's right. Yeah. So uh, my question for you guys is, and this is a silly question because well, I'm on your podcast right now, so obviously <laughs> this is this is what this is what you're doing related to this issue. But do you guys ever feel like um and and Joe, I know you just sent over you just published a song, and as I'm saying this, I'm remembering you just sent over a song that uh at least in, in this title has has a relation has a relationship with fighting mm-hmm. do you guys feel the impulse outside of the discussions that you have on this podcast to to blend your particular art forms with your fascination with fighting or do you just like to explore through conversation how what what those relationships might be in sort of in, in the abstract uh so this is brian i, I think that you can say like you know like obviously you joe you've you you know you're on a fight themed uh album with a fight themed uh song phantom punch which by the way check it on joe's twitter and buy it and all that stuff but um but basically uh for for me it's a little bit more abstracted i'm not necessarily doing i mean i have photographed uh some smaller promotion professional fights mma fights and i've uh really been able to sort of uh, enjoy that on occasion, like my sort of small dose of being Esther Lin for a couple of days here and there. But, um, uh, but it's also really fucking hard to do and it makes me really appreciate what she does so much. But, um, but anyway, but ultimately in, in the work that I'm primarily concentrated on, it's more of an abstraction of the concepts, kind of similar to what I was talking about before, where, uh, it's, it's really just about, um, you know, MMA being essentially an interdisciplinary sort of fluid, thing that has these different um, times or timings for various um, disciplines to come to the fore. Um, But there's also the weird sort of, again, like fascia between sort of, it's like people say like the vernacular is basically like how this fighter can really put it all together. Right. And uh, I I find that to be the most inspiring parallel as a creative person and, and doing things that are totally unrelated to fighting is you know, when I'm, when I'm shooting something or I'm recording something, you know, I can, I can think about how it, all oh, this needs to be sort of structural and have these kind of underpinnings, like something, whatever, uh, some Philip Glass thing or something it has to be very, you know, kind of modular. And then I want this other sort of brushy kind of aspect, a sort of abstract thing. And you're looking at maybe other traditions that you've sort of clued into to sort of, uh, inspire or, or put that together. So then it becomes, how do you weave together all of your various sort of, uh, influences or disciplines or whatever into something that feels like what is like, because then you're ultimately, you're trying to solve a problem. Uh, You're trying to communicate something specific that you've outlined. And so you're trying to figure out all the different tools that you have and how to stitch them together to put together the perfect sort of um, uh, uh, presentation or whatever it is to, to, to have the desired result. I don't see it as any different than what I see um, a fighter going through, except for that I'm a, total uh softy and i don't get punched in the face and so i can sit here and lament about how i didn't get this melancholy just exactly the way i wanted um right you know the consequences are a little different right yeah it's a little different but at the same time you know um in my mind it's a heavy thing right it's something where it's like my, it's a legacy or it's my life force or it's what i have time to leave on this planet or uh it's the few moments i have to say something so anyway i guess maybe that's the best answer to the question and then otherwise joe maybe you can talk about how you've actually kind of done it a little bit more um you've done it both ways right like more directly and country and western that's right both kinds of music (laughs) (laughs) um yeah no i think i think for me the main thing i mean like like brian mentioned right now i do have a song i just came out with called phantom punch that is on a cassette tape called tale of the tape so it's a little literal um uh, i love it but at the same time it's like really for me i mean like 
I've uh, I've done a you know a, a certain amount of training on and off my whole life for the last couple of years. I've been going to an MMA gym and dabbling around and uh, you know you know kicking bags and going to a Muay Thai class and doing uh, jujitsu. I still have a pure white belt with no stripes on it, and so uh, <laughs> I'm really trying to maintain that beautiful pure white belt. Um, yeah, <laughs> but 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 you know regardless, I, I think for me really the 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 beauty of that is just that I I have always enjoyed. Uh, martial arts on every, you know, martial arts movies, actually doing some martial arts, martial arts com- competitions and, you know, boxing and things like that. When I was in college, I used to go to an amateur boxing gym. I didn't actually, I never competed, but that's like where I learned how to do like a boxing workout and how to spar and how to, you know, how to, how to actually box without, you know, just thinking, you know, how, cause you don't. <laughs> and so, uh, right. so, um, so things like that have always been interesting to me. And I think at, you know, at this point in my life, I think the biggest thing is, is that if is that it's like if I want to actually maintain, you know, sort of a life at the gym, it's it just makes my whole schedule have to be even more disciplined and even more focused, you know, and I think it also uh, so it sort of tightens up my day a little bit because I'm a freelance person. Right. So it's like I'm it's 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 up to me, like how productive are you going to be today? And it's like, well, if I get up at seven o'clock and go right to the gym, I'm probably going to have a pretty productive day because I'm going to get an early start on the day. I'm going to get everything moving. And, and this is probably the most important part is there's definitely a benefit like psychologically to just getting that kind of exercise. And for me, it's, it, you could do, you could be doing anything. You could be getting up and riding a bike all morning or whatever it is that you like to do. But for me, the martial arts is like the thing that's fun enough to do that I'll actually get, I'll actually get out of bed to go do that exercise because it's so fun. And the next thing you know, I'm, I'm working out much harder than I really want to be, but it's okay because it was fun. You know what I mean? So, and I just, and I've always had like a, like old school, like Greek belief of like, you know, if you want to have a great brain and you what you should be like, you should be a smart person, but you should also be a creative person. And you should also be a physically fit person, you know, like this is this idea of like, you know, and I think also too, I think once you, once you get to a certain age, I think you start to realize that it's like, wow, so much of this really is about your health. And you don't really need to know that when you're 25, because there's almost nothing you can do that's going to ruin your health, <laughs> you know, but, but right. once you're 20 years down the line from there, you're like, oh no, like your, your, your health is, is fundamental. You know what I mean? So I think a lot of it's just that for me at this point, you know, but, um, but I do, I do see parallels all the time. And certainly I do see, you know, certain, certain things I I'll learn in class about how to, you know, get that Kimura right or whatever. It's like, like, I mean, like for instance, one lesson about that stuff, the whole idea the, the jujitsu idea that, uh, you know, slow is, uh, smooth is fast, you know, like smooth is slow. So it's fast, you know, uh, if you or slow is smooth and smooth is fast. Right. So you, you find yourself wanting to hurry through things, you know, and, uh, you know, you, you sort of see a goal or something like, you know, that seems within grasp and you sort of like want to reach out and grab it really fast. So, you, so it doesn't get away or something. And it's like, no, 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 that's not the way you do it. Like, cause when you try to do that in jujitsu, that guy just pulls his arm away and, now you lost it, you know, and after a while you realize that it's like, take the long, slow way because the long, slow way is a lot more sure ultimately. And it's going to take you a minute, but now you've got that, you know, that Kimura locked in and, and they got no choice but to tap, you know, but if you would to rush through it, you, you wouldn't have got there. So I think it's taught me to be more patient because patient is more effective, even though, you know, when you're trying to achieve things in your life, you can get in a hurry, either out of impatience or out of fear of failure and all those things, you know what I mean? So, so I think, I think, you know, jujitsu in particular teaches you patience because you spend a lot of time getting crushed, trying to, trying to patiently not get, be crushed anymore. So you learn a lesson or two. They were, there have been so many times throughout my training and especially when I was training for the fight where I had this thought and obviously I was more tuned to this because I was always thinking about the book as I was preparing for the fight. But I had the thought every once in a while that a, the better fighter is going to be the one who allows himself to be burdened less with metaphors. Like, like thinking too much about this stuff in a metaphorical way, which is just like, I can't escape from. And I'm guessing you guys can't escape from either. It's so paralyzing when it comes to like the upper levels 
of being good at the sort of thing. Now, granted, I was never going to be good anyway. Like, a, a, you know, my age, a lack of a lack of athleticism, whatever, any number of things. But I, I definitely had the thought every once in a while. I was like, man, just stop thinking about this as metaphors. Like, just just let a punch in the face be a punch in the face, and uh, and try to not try to not get punched so much. Yeah, but it doesn't work. It doesn't work. You, you, if you have a metaphorical mind, the, the the fighting is such. It's just a giant fertile field well i mean ultimately that's uh it's about pattern recognition you know it's about observation and and using uh you know what you see in front of you to uh inform or guide what your uh you know either responses are be or what your plan to take control will be or whatever it is you know so it's it's yeah it's like a it's like a circle right um so that's my metaphor you know but um <laughs> but you know it it's, uh, you know, it's, I find it very interesting uh, and also taxing, right? Because it is like you, you want to find – if you're a person that's determined to find meaning or correlation in everything, then your brain just does that all the time. Uh, and it it's the it's a blessing and a curse because that's the, that's, the, that's the same brain matter that's giving you uh, – uh, the best work probably in your book or, you know, other things. It's just that, that strange nugget of observation is, is critical to any artist or any creative in any field. So it is sort of a, it's a strange dilemma, but I think, I think in a way we all wish that we were just sort of uh, like Yoel Romeroing our way through, <laughs> uh, through whatever it's it is true. that we're doing. Yeah. No, whatever you're doing, you want to be the Yoel Romero of doing it. I think it, I think it really is the way, the way to do it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Hey, so um, so tell us about um, uh, so American University writing and fighting. They use your book as the sort of text. Is that correct? They did, yeah. And so th that that's amazing. Maybe we can uh sort of wrap this up. But I want to uh talk to you about your sort of path to the writing and fighting course, uh, Nancy Kidder, and then ultimately what your um place in the symposium that is tomorrow that we wish we could attend uh like what what you uh hope to see what you what you're excited about sure yeah well the the, the, the thing with nancy is that uh several years ago I mean, a lot of years ago now uh i wrote a story she she it was, the story wasn't even supposed to be about her class i had just you know because when i was writing for Fightline, when i was when i was editing for Fightline, like it was like a every day was like a panic-filled desperate grab for contact. I needed to find something to write about, especially in the early days when I didn't have many writers. And then later when I had writers, but maybe they didn't, maybe only one person was sending something in that day and I had to put up three or four stories. So I'd be like, you know, I'm writing like three stories a day. Mm. And I'm like, just please let there be some, something vaguely fight related that I can write about. Because as you say, like, like I, I, I just couldn't let our site become a, you know, you know, here's the fight card tomorrow, or here's what happened in the fight card yesterday, or, or Fighter X guarantees knockout against Fighter Y. Like those are those sites are fine. Like I I read those sites every day, but it's just not what I wanted Fightland to be. So as a consequence, like I was completely pinned in a corner. I would you know wake up in the morning just like praying to the gods that there'd be something that was interesting that I could write about or that I could get someone to write about. So there was a story came up that. You could, uh, and I think he's still doing this actually, that you could get in touch with Bruce Buffer and he would, I guess, for a certain amount of money, uh, announce what you wanted him to announce. He would do your wedding. He would do your bricks. He would do, you know, he would, he would do your outgoing message on your answer machine, whatever it was. And, uh, it just so happened that the thing that they mentioned in the story that he had done, that he had done, I don't know if you guys have seen this video, but there's a video of Bruce Buffer yes. announcing the final project for Nancy's fighting and writing. It's so good. Class that first year. It's hilarious. It's unbelievable. And so like, you know, it's like, a, it's, like it's like a minute long. So it's like talking much longer than he would ever talk in any, any, any circumstance. <laughs> yeah. But in, you know, in that voice, he's talking about like, you know, your assignment, you know, deal with the metaphor and all this like elaborate, hilarious language. And he's like in character the entire time. So I'm writing about that thing, and I hear about this fighting course, about mm. this writing and fighting, and I was like, this is unbelievable. I can't believe, and I think I wrote in the story, I was just like, why did this not exist when I was in college? Um, of course, when I was in college, I was completely repulsed by, by fighting and wouldn't have gone near it, but that's neither here nor there. 
but so I wrote the story and then like, I, I didn't think to get in touch with me. I just published a story and whatever. And then years later I had posted on, uh, Twitter. I done something like just a couple of weeks before the book was coming out. I started doing like a sort of pre, uh, pre-publication, pre-publication day promotional stuff. And, uh, she, I think she just, I don't even think she got in touch with me. I think she just posted something about it saying that she was excited to read the book. I mean, maybe it'll fit in with her course. It was sort of like she was promoting her course by saying, Hey, this, this book might be interesting. And so I got in touch with her and just said, Hey, I don't know if you remember, but we wrote a story about you. And we sort of, you know, we went back and forth and she said, she'd like to, after she read the book, she might like to, to use the book in her class and which on its own was the, was fantastic. And I love the idea. I love the idea of being someone's homework. I just love the idea that <laughs> of, like, you know, you, you, I put, you put so much heart and soul and blood and sweat and all effort into something. It's the most meaningful thing in the world for you for three years. And then like, you're just like a burden to some 19 year old kid. Like, I got to read. I forgot. I have to read chapter four of why we fight this week. God, like all I want to do is, you know, get drunk or whatever. I, I love the idea that I'm, I'm burning someone. But so that was enough. Like just the idea that they might read a chapter of my book. When she told me that it was going to be sort of like the, the sort of the through line curriculum book for the whole class, like they'd be reading a chapter a week. Like, I mean, it was just such an honor and such like a thrill that I was, I, you know, immediately told her anytime I can do anything, I'm, I'm your guy. Like it just, it was, I was, I was so, so, I'm so proud and so appreciative and, and so thrilled. And I went down there a couple weeks ago and with the last, it was the, they had just finished reading my book and I sat with the class and we talked for a while and just talked about writing and talked about fighting. And just, if they had any questions for me, I had questions. Mm-hmm. Like it was just, it was great. Like just to go down and, and meet everyone. But then she, and as you guys, you, you've mentioned, like, it's, you know, I think as you said, like, since you guys have been doing this podcast, you've noticed, a person here, a person there, sort of coming out of the woodwork saying, hey, I've thought the same way about things, or I'm really interested in what you guys are talking about. Sure. I've definitely noticed that since the book has come out, being on social media, people will be like, I, you know, I, I also like writing and fighting, and I, and, and, you know, was really excited to read the book. And then you start seeing that there's like a small community of people like you. Mm-hmm. And I think that to some extent, Nancy, by, by virtue of the fact that she's created this course, but also just by virtue of being who she is in terms of like her enthusiasm and, and like her dedication. Like, right. I think that she's become a bit of a hub for it. Mm-hmm. And, um, when she said she was doing this, uh, doing this thing, like, I think I might have, I might have pushed my way into it a little bit. I don't know if there was an open invitation. <laughs> I might have kind of, I might have insinuated myself a little bit, but just the, I just, the, just being able to be a part of it. Like, right. and I don't even know what, what, angle she's going to go for and i don't you know it is it is still related to this class that is finishing up the course so it, you know i think it's sort of directed toward you know what what people who might consider a career in what we're doing sure you know as as, as writers as sports writers as combat sports writers, how they might take steps or, or what the sort of the state of the industry is so i don't know you know how i'm going to fit in there in terms of as a book writer or maybe as as someone who had a job at a, at a website and got fired from it. I mean, you know, getting fired from the job is as significant in some ways sure. to someone who's thinking about getting involved in the industry as, as having the job in the first place. Right. Um, but I just knew that, you know, for Nancy, I come out and for this small community of, of, of people who, who for some reason love cage fighting and, and artistic ventures in sort of equal measure, mm-hmm. I come out. So it's like, I just, you know, I, I drove down and, and thankfully my parents live here so I can stay in their house and perfect. We'll, I, I, we'll see what happens tomorrow. That sounds good. Well, we're going to make sure to have all the information about the event. Like, again, we'll post it with uh, with this post. And uh, we've talked about it before. And people can follow Nancy Kidder, you know, through our website or, or on Twitter. Um, where can people find you if they want to find out more about your book and more about your other projects and, and uh, everything else? Sure. Uh, yeah, I'm at Josh Rosenblatt one on both uh, Twitter and Instagram. And the book is called Why We Fight. And it's available wherever books are sold. And uh, and I just want to tell you guys again that, I, I, again, ever since I heard about your podcast, we've been sort of going back and forth trying to make it happen. But I, uh, it's a pleasure to listen to. And, and like again, a pleasure to find like-minded souls. So 
Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Yeah, hundred percent, man. Well, I appreciate you reaching out to us and, and I appreciate you sending us the book. And, uh, and also too, I mean, like, you know, Nancy was just, when she was telling us about the symposium, she was like, just obviously super excited about talking about you. Um, also too, people should know that, uh, Josh recently wrote a piece for the Washington post. Is that right? Yes. So a really interesting piece uh, yeah. about Trump's recent visit to the last UFC event and how that was perceived and why it was perceived that way. We didn't get a chance to talk about it today on the episode, but it's a killer piece. And to me, it's 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 evidence of yet another situation where people who don't understand the culture within the fight world very often misunderstand what it's what it actually is. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you. I appreciate you saying that. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, thanks again, uh, Josh, and, and uh, we will talk to you uh, on the other side of this uh, MMA media symposium. And we want to hear all about it and, and catch up with everybody yeah. else that's involved uh, at some point, too. I want to sort of see how that all sort of went down mm-hmm. and uh, tell everybody we said hi. <laughs> yeah, anytime, guys. Yeah, thank you so much, you guys. I really appreciate it. Okay guys, I love the Art Fight podcast, and I listen to every episode even though I am a robot trying to sound like an actual person. I know it takes a lot to keep the podcast going. How can I help? Go to anchor.fm forward slash artfightpodcast, click on the button, the big old button that says support this podcast, and once you get there you'll have three options. You can just choose the lowest level, you're going to pledge 99 cents a month to, to our production and and help us out again anchor.fm forward slash art fight podcast click on support this podcast all right thanks everyone